0: I want to talk to you this morning about now is the time. Turn to your neighbor and say, Now. Now's the time. Now is the time. We are in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. So, uh, years ago. Um, I told you, y'all who know me know I grew up, I hated roller coasters and fast things and hills. So years ago, one of uh, Beth's bucket lists kind of things that we did, we went to Sandusky, Ohio. It's like this huge theme park for riding all the biggest, tallest uh, roller coasters and everything. So that shows my love and appreciation for my wife, right? So I did all that. Well, uh, at one one of these events that we went to, so she loves roller coasters, they did this uh, bungee swing thing. It's where they take three insane people they strap them together and they ratchet them up as far as the eye can see on a rope, you know. And then they, they let them go and they just swing basically across the park and in faith don't die. And so uh, let's just say that uh, we went to this and I, I uh, uh, they went to one of the, my mom, my dad and, and my cousin and Beth, they went to this large bungee swing and as they got in it, note that I was not in it. I'm on the ground, the reasonable, responsible person has to go on with life insurance, you know, and plan their funerals, uh, they begin to ratchet them back up. And you can hear them screaming and, and going all the way up to the top. And, and there's supposed to be this countdown. One, two, three, go. Now's the time. Well, I didn't, it was one, two, three, and I didn't hear anything. Nothing was happening. I just heard screaming. And the reason was is you had to pull your own cord. Have anybody, anybody done that? All right, we're praying for this person. Anybody else? No, you had to pull your own cord. So it's like, the guy's like, okay, ma'am, you have to pull it. There's no way down but pulling the cord. So one, two, three, now's the time. You know, sometimes you have to pull the cord and take a leap of faith, even with God. There are moments that take us beyond our comfort zone with God, where God is countdown is there, it's initiated, and there's nothing left to do but just take a leap of faith into something God has called you to do that is beyond what you ever thought you could ever do that was possible. Uh, that's a little bit about my journey in this thing called Christianity. I grew up in church. I had no plans to be a pastor. I had no giftings to talk in front of people or preach or teach. I was, I was nervous. I I took Pepto-Bismol just to go to speech class. I was telling our, our new friends class this morning that. Uh, but as I got filled with God in my later years of high school and went on to college, God began to grow in me, and I had no idea what, he, what my purpose or my calling was in life. I didn't even know there was such a thing. No one ever really talked to me about that. I just knew you go to church, you be a good Christian, you pay your tithes, you don't want to go to hell, you pray, you know, you give money to missionaries, and you don't do all these things. And so as I began to feel this burning fire on the inside of me, all I could do was just want to be around ministry. I had no gifting, no calling that I thought for ministry. I had no no ability to do anything other than just be a helper at a sound booth and to set up tables and chairs and, and just show up and be a part. And so I did. Campus ministry and colleges showed up every time the doors were open, just being a part. But as I begin to just get on my face before God, one of my pastors uh, there says, You're going to lead a small group next semester with a bunch of guys. And I, listen, I'm not even joking. I laid on my face in my duplex for an hour. On my face, just going, Oh my gosh, Lord, what are you doing? How can I ever? Just to talk to eight young men about the Bible. That's where I began. Right there. It was so far beyond my ability just to talk to eight guys in a dorm room, in a circle. Who are my peers about God? That's how far above I never thought, never even imagined what my purpose or calling could be in life. But I humbled myself, I got on my face, I labored in prayer for an hour. Every Sunday night, I had our Bible study on Sunday nights. Every Sunday night before these young men showed up, I was on my face for an hour just asking God just for the strength to talk to eight people about him. Years go by and I would just figure out, God, there's this passion you have in me. There's something you want to do. And God would initially call me into ministry, and I'd get into ministry. I'd just start doing it. I had no idea what ministry was. I didn't know what it meant to be a pastor. I just jumped into the job probably a little too eager and didn't really understand it all. And later on, years go by, and somebody says, you know what, I think you have the gift of teaching. You're, you're pretty good at teaching the gospel. And I'm like, I've never been a person who could teach anything or talk to anybody. But it took something in stepping out One, just to do something, just to get in the work, like Nike, just do it, just do something. And then it took times of waiting and waiting on the Lord for strength, waiting on the Lord. And then it took a time where I had to just pull the cord and jump out into a place and start walking by the Spirit into things that only God could do. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning about, that now is the time. There is a time to just get to work and do something. There's a time to wait on the Lord for the strength to do it, and then there's a time to just start walking by faith in something you never thought you could ever do. Working, waiting, and walking. Every Christian is called to do something. Paul says, you're, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, he says, You are saints by calling. That means God chose you. He called you. He separated. You're saint. You're holy. You're called out once, separated for a Purpose. Holy means put aside for a purpose. And when a person is holy, we're not holy on our own, but He makes us holy with His power of the Holy Spirit. It means you're set apart for a purpose with power to do that purpose. Anything God purposes you to do, He gives you the power to do it. You have a power for a purpose with the Holy Spirit. That's the saint by calling. He gives you that power. He gives every member in his body a spiritual gift. And every Christian, listen to me, every Christian has a purpose in Christ and every Christian needs the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a purpose. You have a purpose in Christ. And God has the power for you to do that purpose. It might be something you never thought you could ever possibly do. That's because God's going to give you the power to do that purpose. I believe that. I, if there's anything in my, my 15 years of full-time ministry and 37 years of being growing up in this thing called Christianity, it's that every saint of God, every Christian has a calling. Every Christian has a purpose. And it's not just pastors. It's not just pastors. You see, today there's this problem that we're facing. There's a divide between the pulpit and the pew. Uh, It's created something in America, modern Christians, called spectators and performers. That's something we have in modern Christianity. spectators. And performers, we, we see a stage and a platform and people who are polished and people who have it all together, supposedly. And they have a cool, you know, lights and media and sound and there's a polished message. And we come and we listen and we watch and we go home and think, well, that's church, that's Christianity. But that's really not how it was in the New Testament. In the New Testament, there was a diversity of gifts, a diversity of offices, a diversity of purposes and callings. And every person had a part to play. Every person had something they were called to do in the New Testament church. And what it's done today is we have senior pastors, associate pastors, youth pastors, kids pastors, worship pastors, and we think, well, pastor is the only office, the only job in the church. But in fact, you said apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. In the Old church, you had deacons, you had elders, you had women who could prophesy. Women who led house churches, men who led house churches, you had, you had overseers and bishops, you had helpers, you had administrators, you had leaders, you had encouragers, you had exhorters. All of these things were in the New Testament church. And it wasn't, let me say this, they didn't have associate pastors and youth pastors and kids pastors and worship pastors. We've made the church into a very much pastoral, professional career. But I want to just look at Scripture this morning to what really We're called this series Realignment. We're to realign ourselves with what the early church really looked like. And I just believe that God wants us each to figure out our purpose in the church. I believe He wants us to use a variety of people with a variety of giftings. And uh, one of the things I think happens today is so many pastors, I think they said after COVID it was 40% of pastors considered quitting after COVID-19 because of the immense pressure on the office of pastoring. And the problem there is that many times we've put all the giftings onto that one person. Do you remember the days, those of you who grew up in church, when the pastor had to sing and play in piano and his wife had to sing and play in piano? Right? Remember that? Well, it was like a one-man band, you know. If that so-and-so didn't show up, that's all right. Pastor or sister so-and-so had the whole thing covered. Because it was all the giftings onto one person. I believe that's probably one of the most unbiblical things for us to grow a church is on one person. God has equipped you to be the church. You are the church of Jesus Christ, and you have a purpose, and God is going to give you the power uh, to live it out. Look with me in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Are you walking in God's purpose and power in your life? Now is the time. We're going to get into working and waiting and walking. All right, here we are. So in Acts chapter 13, let me set the stage. Christian Jews... From Jerusalem have just been persecuted. Stephen's just been stoned, and they are scattered all across. Uh, Not only Judea and Samaria, but now they're about to go to the ends of the earth. They've made their way all the way up in the north to a a big city like New York called Antioch. And there, for the first time, some Jewish men and women, we don't even know really who they were, began speaking and preaching Jesus to Gentiles. They heard that the Gentiles had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that God had considered Gentiles clean. They could receive the Holy Spirit by faith. And so now the door had opened. It was not, Christianity was not just a Jewish thing or a Samaritan, half-Jewish, thing, it was a Jesus thing. It was to all the world. And now we just had this massive revival in this town called Antioch, which is like the ancient New York City. And so many so that we have just sent Barnabas, one of the elders of the early church, up there to check on it. When he saw how great it was going, the grace of God was just being poured out in Antioch. He says, man, I know a young man who is called to people like this. His name is Saul. I heard that he was on the road to Damascus. And in fact, I've been, been a mentor in his life. And so for about a few years, four to six years, he's been laboring in his hometown of Tarsus, really waiting on God's purpose for his life. I think this is what it's all about. So he says, Paul... Calls him on the phone, not really. He sails over there, gets on a boat, finds him in a place. He says, Paul, Saul, let me tell you something. There's a massive revival of Gentiles. Didn't you say God's called you to the Gentiles? Come with me. And so for one year, this guy named Barnabas, who's the encourager, a mentor, and Saul of Tarsus, which we know is Paul, teach these young men, these, this church, thousands and thousands of believers across many, many house churches in this huge city. And for a year, they teach considerable numbers, many, many, many disciples. And now, God is about to do something they never could imagine. He's about to pull the cord and say, now is the time. He's about to take these people who just started working, And they're about to be waiting on the Lord. And he's about to say, now it's time to walk by faith. I've got something bigger than you ever thought your church could do. There's something beyond the horizon that you guys have been waiting and praying for. And now is the time when everyone has got to work. We're about to see something that the world has never seen. We're about to start a missionary journey across the globe. Okay, this is the scene. Okay, so watch this. Acts 13, verse 1. Now, there were in Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. Somebody say prophets and teachers. There were prophets and teachers. Here's some names. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, or the king, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord, some versions say worshiping unto the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have... Called them. And then, when they had fasted and prayed a little more, and they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by who? The Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. That would begin the first missionary, itinerant uh, journey to the Gentile world. What we're it's about to, the turning point in the book of Acts, is about to see one of the world's greatest uh, revivals and movements. Uh, this Antioch church is about to send out missionaries, the first missionaries in the entire world. So, how, what? How did they know God's purpose for their lives and for this church? How did they know what they were supposed to do? How did they have the power to do it? And how did they know what their calling was? These were uh, normal people who started this church. So, how did they get into working? So, that's the first. If you're writing this down, the first point is get into working. Well, who can work? Who can be a minister? Well, there's ministry is for everyone. Look, at there's five men there. The first thing I say is we, we don't know who started the church. It was just ordinary people. But then we have five characters, five leaders, five church leaders, men who are leading the church. We say Barnabas, so we just know him. He's the encourager. He's the first person to sell land at the Pentecost revival. He's a respected Jewish leader. Then you've got Simeon, or Simon says Niger, which means black, Simeon possibly was a black person, an Ethiopian or someone from uh, Cyrene. He was a person of dark skin so there 's your first interracial church right there, first interracial church leadership team. come on somebody there 's diversity in this church, and some people even speculate we don 't know for sure that this is the same Simon who carried the cross of Jesus that very day wouldn 't that be something? Like, for I mean, whatever happened to that guy? He carried Jesus' cross. No doubt he was transformed by it. Maybe, we don't know. History will tell us in heaven. But this guy went on to Antioch and became one of the first church leaders. Wouldn't that be something to say that your pastor is one of the people who carried Christ's cross? Well, that's going to preach, right? You're going to have a sermon every week. But this guy, maybe I'd like to think so. Again, we don't know. But Simeon, so we've got a Jewish man who's a leader, a a, a black or a dark-skinned person who's from Cyrene. We've got a Manian, and it says that he grew up with Herod Antipas. That's the guy that killed John the Baptist. You were in nursery with the king who killed John the Baptist. You talk about a family tree. you know, like your your half brother, dear dude, like your stepbrother killed John the Baptist. So, man, gospel was getting in the inroads into this some of the upper echelons of uh, Judaism. Man, they converted somebody in the house of Herod, and now he's a church leader in Antioch. Look at that awesome uh, church leadership team they have, and then they've got Saul, a former Pharisee persecutor who was blinded on the road to Damascus and was once killing them, was there at Stephen's stoning. And he's actually the main reason this church is alive today. Because if he hadn't persecuted it, they never would have spread. So think about the diversity. You know what? Everybody can be a minister. God can use anybody. Anybody? God can use anybody. It's not black nor white. It's not educated. It's not rich and it's not poor. This is the most diverse church we've seen at this point in the book of Acts. God is willing to use anybody with any background. It doesn't care what you've done in the past. God can take your story and He can turn it around. So, get to work. Get to work. So, What's ministry? What's ministry? They got into working. They were there for a year. This church had been going on. They just, it says there in the Greek, it says they were ministering to the Lord. In the Greek, that means they were doing religious duties as they knew how to do them. It says they're worshiping in some translations. But it really means, it's like in the Old Testament. You had the priests who made the sacrifices in the temple and were ministering to the Lord. They handled the Lord's religious duties. And any service to the Lord is worship. Remember what Colossians Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. You know what ministry is? Anything you do that gives God glory. It says they were doing their religious duties. Here's what I think. I think the Antioch church was just a bunch of people doing whatever they could do for the Lord. It wasn't just, this is a position and that's a title. These guys were all types of people. These are pagan Gentiles that just got radically converted and filled with the Holy Spirit, and they just put themselves to work. It says they were ministering to the Lord, and that word just means they were doing whatever they could do. It doesn't mean there was, this guy's got the worship. He's the announcer. This guy's doing the offering, and this guy's doing the door greeting. No, they were just doing whatever they could. They could do. Don't you love, if you're a boss, people who just see a job and just do it? Parents, don't you just love it when your kids just see a need and they just do it? They're doing it unto you, right? And that's what the Lord is. You just get to work. Sometimes we're waiting for this big epiphany. The Lord has thus called me to be the sound man of the church. Now, if you see a need, sometimes ministry is just doing what needs to be done. Come on, somebody, say Amen. Amen. Ministry is just doing things unto the Lord. I don't take out the trash glorifying myself when I go down. My driveway is like a half a mile long and I'm just rolling that big old 60 pound thing down that driveway, pulling out of my truck. That is not glorifying anybody, but I do it. Why? Because I love my family, right? There's some things you just do because that's ministry to your family, to your friends, and even unto the Lord. So how do I know what God has actually called me to do? The Bible says, we are one body with many members, and everyone has a gift." And on the next slide I think we have this next slide, there you goes. Uh, there are ministry gifts, uh, motivational go ahead and go back. Ministry gifts, motivational gifts and manifestational gifts. I don't have time today to go into all these. And I've wrote these scriptures down. Just look in Ephesians 4, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. You know, the Bible lists a variety of gifts. That the Holy Spirit is given, and Paul doesn't even try to mention them all. But he gives ministry gifts. That's like what we see. He says there's first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. In another place, he says there's evangelists and pastors. He says there's miracles, there's healings, there's helps, there are administrations, there's tongues. That's ministry. But he says, even in Romans, he says there's motivational gifts. There's gifts like prophecy and exhorting the church. There's serving the church. There's teaching the church. There's people who are encouraging of the church. There's givers. There's leaders. There are people who have the gift of mercy. They're just called to be merciful. That's their gift to the church. There's motivations there. He says there's manifestational gifts. These are like when we show up and worship and and God's presence manifests. There's manifestational gifts. Those are like words of wisdom and words of knowledge and prophecy. Those are things like faith and healing and miracles and discernment, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. The Bible says those are things that were happening in the early church very commonly. Things manifested. The Spirit just uh, revealed Himself in powerful ways. But none of those are just all exclusive. And do you notice that in every single set of those gifts, Paul lists prophecy, prophecy. This is interesting. He lists prophecy in all three gifts. Now, I want to say all this because I'm, I want to hit something on a tangent here today. Go back in that verse, and it says, who is the five? It says, look at the very beginning, Acts 13, 1. In the church that was there were what? Prophets and what? Teachers. Does it say pastors? There were no pastors in the Antioch church. There was prophets and teachers, and he lists five of them. There were five prophets and teachers who led the Antioch church into this wave of revival that they're about to see. There was not a worship pastor, kids pastor, youth pastor, sound pastor, uh, administrative pastor, care pastor, home home church pastor, small group pastor. You see how we do this in America? We put everything under one gift. But he says there was actually no pastor. There were prophets and there were teachers. Some of them were both. Uh, there's a book in my office uh, by Dr. Carolyn Tennant, and I'm just going to tag on this just for a second. There are five streams, she says, currents, influences. In the Bible, it gives apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I don't have time to go into all that. But in each one, while we don't use the title apostle today, that spirit, that moving, apostle means sent one. And, and we, might, we know that there's the twelve. They were the apostles. But in fact, Barnabas and Saul are about to be called apostles in the next chapter. There was actually uh, 13, 14 apostles that are in Acts. So that word really for us today would be missionary. There's a missional spirit. Some people have been gifted with a missional spirit. They're good at planting things and expanding things. They're going into enemy territory. There's some people who have a missionary calling, even locally. Missions to our recovery ministry. Missions into the homeless. Missions into the prisons. There's a missional spirit that God gives to His church. Then there's the evangelistic spirit. that, that uh, Paul says to Timothy, Do the work of the evangelist while you're a pastor. Now, not all pastors are gifted at evangelism. There are men and women who come and travel, and uh, we have Brother Craig Franklin in our church. He's he's evangelizing this morning up in northeast Louisiana. There are people who have the gift and calling of evangelism, but there are even people in this pews right here today who have the gift of evangelism. You're good at talking to neighbors and friends. You're good at bringing people along the way. You're not scared to talk to strangers about Christ. That's a gift that God has given to you. It's not all for an office or position. Some things, there's just a current a stream of influence, a spirit of evangelism that comes on people. Then there's prophecy. And Paul says, covet to prophesy. This is one of the things we get freaked out because the Bible says in the last days there's going to be a, uh, a bunch of false prophets. So we're like, whoa, well, uh, we don't want all that craziness. And that's true. There's a lot of that. But prophet is not always foretelling like the future, but sometimes forthtelling. You know, hey, the Lord says to you today, be encouraged. Or maybe God will just put a word onto someone's heart. We need people in our churches who can tell us what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We need prophets. And we, know we don't going to use that title. I know some churches do. And I'm not talking about bringing back the Old Testament off it of prophet. But Paul says, if you read Acts, that bands of prophets came behind his work, if you study it out. And these prophets would come and encourage and exhort the church. Remember in 1 Corinthians he says, let two or three prophets prophesy, and then be quiet, and, let them, and then they judge it. He's talking about those groups of people, people who had the gift and the, the uh, gift of prophecy, who would come and exhort a church. And so when Paul would come, he would establish it and teach it and lead it. He would establish elders and, listen, bands of prophets, people who had that gift of prophetic ministry, would come behind him and exhort them. If you don't believe me, come to my office, I'll show it to you. There is a need today for people who can encourage us in the Word of God and encourage us in what the Spirit is saying. It's a lost thing, and we've put so much on the pastoral side. But in the Antioch church, there was just five prophet teachers, people who had a prophetic anointing on their life. Not crazies. Not weirdness, thus into the Lord, and here's a sign, you know, it's going to rain. No, not that kind of stuff. But people who had, a, had a, an idea of what the Spirit was saying, who could operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and speak into that church. Then there was the teacher and pastor. Sometimes this is together. But the pastor, sometimes there's this pastoral current in our churches. There are those of you who are really uh, good at visiting hospitals and visiting the nursing homes. You care about relationships. You care about others. Some of you are small group leaders and home church leaders. You have a need to shepherd the flock. That's what pastor means. It means shepherd. Jesus was the chief shepherd. And it means to tend to the flock, exhort the flock, and even protect the flock from wolves. That's the pastor's spirit. Some people in this room today have a calling not to be the professional pastor or a pastor behind a pulpit, but you have a calling to pastor others in this community and in this church. That doesn't mean anything different about my calling versus your calling. God has called you to do what you're called to do. Then there's those of you who are teachers. And we need teachers from our kids to our youth to the adult groups and Bible studies. And some of you have a gift of teaching God's word. And in fact, Paul always, listen to me, Paul always lists in all gifts, listen to me, he puts teachers in front of pastors. Paul even tells of himself And later on in Acts, he says, I am a preacher, a teacher, and an apostle. Paul never calls himself a pastor, but he is a teacher, a preacher, and an apostle. And I just want to elevate the gift of teaching. I just believe that some people in here just need to be encouraged. God has gifted you to teach the Word of God. And that is such a highly... He says, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, are teachers. God has given to His church. Maybe I'm challenging some of our theology here. We've only grown up in church and seen it a certain way. I just want to tell you what the Word of God says. Every church, it says there's first the missional spirit, there's the prophetic spirit, there's the teaching of the Word of God. Those things is what the Holy Spirit is interested in doing. And then next is pastoral ministry. But I think we're going to be at a miss if we don't see that God is putting missional people in our congregation. He's putting prophetic people in our congregation. And He's lifting up teachers in our congregation. How do you know what you're supposed to do? Real quick, get into waiting. Get into waiting. Number one is get into working. Sometimes you just have to start doing something. Paul did that. Paul got called on the road to Damascus. But in Galatians, he says that God had a calling on him in his mom's womb. That he knew that there was something he was supposed to do with his life, but he just didn't know what it was. And so when Jesus got a hold of him on the road to Damascus, he just started doing what he knew he could do, just telling people about Jesus. And he got persecuted and sent out, and he went to Tarsus, and he waited in Tarsus, just doing something. Somebody just say, do something. Just do something. He just was doing something. In fact, then then Barnabas says, hey, dude, didn't you say you're supposed to be doing something with Gentiles? Come preach with me. Teach with me. We've got this prophet-teacher thing going on here. So come, come prophesy and teach with us. For one year, Paul is still waiting. But guess what he's learning in that time? He's learning how to reach Gentiles. For one year, before this great apostle to the Gentiles ever launches into his grand design, guess what he's doing? He's waiting. For one year, God has him be a teacher of Gentiles, learning how to think how they walk, how they talk, what they believe. And for one year, he has this preparation time. For one year, he's teaching Gentiles. And then comes this moment. Here's what I think happened. These young men were sitting there doing what God's calling them to do. Maybe it was the end of the year. And they say, you know what, guys? We don't know what the next step of our church is. We've all been doing, God's doing great things. But let's set some times to fast and pray. And this leadership team of pastor, prophet, teacher people, these prophet teachers began to pray. The Bible says fast. They were ministering to the Lord, praying and fasting. And in that group, in that prayer time, as they began to fast, there's the absence of food in this verse. It's the absence of food where you allow your hunger pain to remind you of how much more you need God. That hunger pain reminds you how desperately you really need Jesus in your spirit. And these men were desperately waiting on God. God, I mean they're doing great things they could have just kept on going but they knew maybe we should just wait wait on the Lord you remember there's a story of a Joshua in a town called AI Psalms 106 uh, Psalms 106 verse 13 says they soon forgot his works they waited not for his counsel you see sometimes you get to working but then you need to get to waiting you want to find God's purpose and power for your life get to working like Paul, just do something. Just get involved. Sign up somewhere. Just do something. But then cultivate an attitude of waiting. It says they waited not for God's counsel. Joshua, they just had this great Jericho time. Man, God just, the walls fell down. And man, we just took on this army we never thought possible. And so, yeah. And they go to the next town. Oh, it's a little bitty AI. Like, like it's on a hill. There's nobody there. Take it. And it says, what happened? Remember? They go there. They fell to a much smaller enemy. What happened? They didn't wait on God. They didn't know really that God had to do some things in the camp first to get some things ready because victory was never theirs, victory was always the Lord's. How many know that's true? Victory was always the Lord's. Sometimes we can get to working and we can forget to waiting. Get to working, just do something. But then keep waiting. Joshua failed to wait on the Lord for even a small victory. These young men, these prophet teachers were waiting. And as they begin to wait, God, what do you want to do next year in our church? God, what do you want to do next? What's the next thing, Father, you want to do in this ministry? Lord, in my life, what do you want me to do next? I know I'm doing this. God, I'm working. I feel this is your calling for my life. I've stepped into what I'm supposed to do. But God, I don't want to go anywhere you're not going. So I'm waiting on you. Holy Spirit, speak. What do you want me to do? Am I still doing? Am I in the right place? Am I in the right position? Is this really what you want me to do with my life? And it says, the Spirit spoke. How did he speak? He spoke through one of the prophet teachers. And he said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have already called them to do. Something I purposed in them many years ago, maybe even when they were born, Paul says, something I have always wanted them to do. And they have been working, and now they've been waiting. Now's the time. Now's the time. Because they've been working faithfully. Sometimes we want a promotion before we've done the work to get there, right? They've been working faithfully. They've been waiting on me, seeking my face, and now is the time. It's been a year. Now is the time. And they stepped out in faith. When's the last time we've been seeking the Lord with fasting and prayer? When's the last time you have just been seeking the Lord? God, what do you want me to do in my own purpose? God, have I been doing things in my own power? Are there things you've purposed for me maybe that I can't even imagine? I could never have ever thought I would be a pastor. Not in a million years would I ever have chosen this path for my life. Ever, Sometimes I even wonder. No, not really. You know, uh, but there's things that maybe you can't see that God wants you to do, that you have to cultivate a working and waiting attitude and say, God, I'm regularly praying. I'm regularly fasting. What shall I do? Sometimes you have to get an unhurried pace. You know, I wrote this down. It says, if we are doing what we can easily do in our own power, then we are not allowing God to use us in what only He can do. If you're doing things in your Christianity that is easy for you to do, you don't need God's power to do it. I can easily show up and be a door greeter. I can easily show up and do this or do that, whatever it is. You say, I can easily teach Sunday school. I can easily do that. If it's easy for you, then maybe you need to wait and ask God for things that only He can do. There may be something that you need to be praying and fasting about that only God can do through you. Because if it's easy for you, maybe God's not the one doing it. And if you're not careful, it could be like a Joshua A.I. thing. God, I didn't wait for you to tell me things that only you could do. They were fasting and praying. They were working, they were waiting, and then they were walking. i wrap up with this. There comes a moment when you have to pull the cord. There comes a moment where you have to step out in faith into something new, something uncomfortable, something that only the Holy Spirit can give you the power to fulfill. You know, Paul said that it was idle Christians to Timothy, that turn into busybodies. He said, people who don't have anything to do in your church, they're going to turn into gossips. They're going to turn into busybodies. And Jesus said, the parable of the talents, he said, that, that slave that didn't invest the talents and giftings that God left him, and he just buried it and waited for God to come back, he said, you're a wicked and worthless slave. You didn't invest anything into what I gave to you. There's an investment. Let me say this. Here's a challenge for you. Let the Holy Spirit pull out of you what he's already put in you. I believe when you got saved, God put gifts and purpose in you, and you have got to allow yourself a moment where you say, now is the time. Holy Spirit, I want you to pull out of me what I know you've put into me. I believe the Holy Spirit's made a deposit into your life. you just got to say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to surrender to that purpose. Now is the time. Let the Holy Spirit pull out of you what he's put into you. It says they were set apart, consecrated, useful for a purpose. They laid hands on them. And when these prophet teachers laid hands on them, the Bible says, like on Timothy, they laid hands on them, they prayed for them the Holy Spirit gifting came on and people prophesied over them and they sent them out for a purpose. And this began something, this little church in Antioch, wasn't a little church, but this church in Antioch never thought possible. They would never have thought in a million years that people 2,000 years later in Gina, Louisiana, would be talking about what that one church did. Now that one church prayer meeting changed the course of history when a group of men and women in this church began waiting and working and then the Spirit spoke how much we need the prophetic spirit of God today. Maybe, maybe there's things that we could be doing in 2023 at Sanctuary Family Worship Center that we need the Holy Spirit to speak into and say, Sanctuary Church, do this. This is what I have for you. Set apart these people for this purpose. This is what my purpose is for you. But we have to be working and waiting. And then you've got to be willing to walk. Walk in the spirit by faith. I'm going to close with this. Uh, I don't see, is Miss Patricia, I don't see Miss Patricia, I got to go uh, Wednesday night, uh, I was going to brag on her, uh, Miss Patricia, I had to listen to Miss Patricia at our Celebrate Recovery Wednesday night, and I was encouraged, because I knew what I was going to speak on, so I going to brag on her, she gave her testimony as she spoke, as that she became one of our teachers several, uh, about a year ago, and she went over there, she said in her testimony as a volunteer, out of her comfort zone, had gone through some personal issues in her own life, and her own story, but went there to help. And in the process of stepping out to help, she found her own healing and her own power of what God wanted to do in her life. And today, she's one of our monthly teachers over there. And she said, I have never taught in my life. And she was so nervous, and it was on live stream, and and she was telling her story. And I was like, that's it. Sometimes you just have to say, pull the cord, now's the time. Step out into something you never thought possible. And when you step out into that, you'll see God's healing for your life. You'll see God's power for your life. And you'll do things you could never do on your own. But God will do it and he'll get all the glory. that's my challenge for you. Would you stand with me this morning? Now is the time. Get into working. Just do something in ministry. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Get into waiting. When's the last time you've been fasting and praying, seeking God's word for your life? What are your giftings? Maybe God has got a gifting. Maybe you're in that missional stream. Maybe you're in that pastoral stream. Maybe, maybe you're in that evangelistic calling that God has for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's the teacher. Maybe it is the prophetic stream. God has something for you to do. And I'm telling you, it's not all about being a pastor. And then get into walking. What can you do that only the Holy Spirit can do in your life? What are you doing that only the Holy Spirit is enabling you to do right now? How are you walking by faith and His His power? Every head bowed and every eye closed.